0: Hello everyone and welcome to today's podcast with me Nikki Perry from N Fitness. I am here today for one of our question and answer sessions from my online coaching group that are working towards some fat loss um, goals as well as kind of health and fitness based goals. So lots of awesome questions for me to um, jump straight into today, hopefully you'll find them really helpful for your own journey as well as potentially maybe other people that you live with as well. So question one that has come in is, says, get my words out, says, when eating out during a calorie counting, what's the best way to go about estimating how many calories you have had? Awesome question. And I want all my clients to feel free to eat out. I hate anyone to think that they can't eat out um, when trying to lose weight because that is just not sustainable long term. So addressing this is really important. Now, there's a few options here with most things that I say, there's no right and wrong. There's just different options on what suits you. So with calorie counting, it's not a long term thing I want you to rely on anyway. Um, it's more of a short term learning the route, learning kind of more basic knowledge in regards to kind of how many calories and which foods and why some foods are there for better choices. So, over time, your kind of knowledge bank is going to increase anyway. So, sometimes I think when going out for dinner, it can be a good opportunity for you to kind of use that knowledge bank and build confidence in kind of eyeballing meals and looking at menus and trying to kind of see things that you think might be suitable for what you want in line with your goals. So, option one is basically you don't count calories at all and you just have a night off or a meal off and realize just because you haven't tracked it doesn't mean suddenly your progress is going to be suddenly flawed. Okay. So the the realistic answer is we're going to be guessing anyway. So if you're going to be guessing, you could have quite a big range of error, room for error. Sometimes just not guessing at all might work. Um, It might be you just want to kind of have an expectation of how many calories you think you are going to consume or want to consume, so that you can try and factor that into other meals, maybe that day or maybe other meals during that week. So if you know you are going like full on out three course meal um, and drinks as well, obviously, that's gonna be really high on calories, depending on what you choose. And it might be then you want to factor that in to across the week, which I'll touch on in a minute. Um, it might be that you are just going out for a normal lunch, and actually, even if it is a couple hundred calories more than normal, and you haven't managed to track it, is not the be all and end all. I said those that are tracking the calories on the app, it does not need to look perfect. So if there are some days which aren't fully accounted for, your body knows what has gone in, what food's gone into it. So don't worry, your app doesn't actually show that quite um so clearly. But on a practical level, if you are wanting to count calories, or try at least get a guesstimated idea of what you consumed. So if you go to a restaurant that employs more than 500 staff, so like a big chain restaurant or big chain pubs, they by law have to advertise the amount of calories that are in their meals. Now, most of them will put that on their menus in the restaurant, but some of them will actually only put it on their menus on their website. So, if you know you're going to a big kind of chain restaurant or pub, it's probably worth having a look on their website and seeing whether that menu does have the calories. When a, this law first came in a couple of years ago, kind of everyone put it on their menus, and then there was a bit of a backlash about people, and like... I agree and disagree with this, so I, I'll sit on the fence of it. People that have had eating disorders that are already very worried and scared about how many calories they're eating, um, found it very triggering. My counter argument to that is they generally also aren't the people that are eating out anyway, um, but I understand people are on recovery and sometimes can be too soon. So I said, so some restaurants have chosen to taking the calories back off their printed menus and put them online on their digital menus. So if you want to find the calories, you can find them, but they're not staring everyone in the face. So have a look at that. If you're in a restaurant that um, is not a big chain restaurant that isn't publicising their calories, uh, what I'm suggesting is actually looking for an return to meal that is on there. So if you're tracking through the Trainerize app, for example, and let's say you go out and you have, I don't know, Hunter's Chicken and Chips. So you know that like chicken breasts with barbecue sauce and cheese and stuff on. Um, I'm pretty certain weather spoons do that. And if you Googled, Weatherspoons. I don't actually think they call it Hunter's Chicken, I think they call it Barbecue Chicken Melt, <laughs> I sound like I'm a regular, um, if you search for that, it will come up, and it will come up, so you can then add the Weatherspoons version of it, and it might be, you're like, yeah, but actually this one's got twice as many chips on, than I know they serve in Weatherspoons. so you can kind of eyeball and go, do you know what, Wetherspoons one says it's 750 calories, if I'm realistic, this one's probably going to be more like 850 calories due to the extra chips, so, as I said looking for an alternative at a restaurant that you know that you've maybe eaten for, that you know the kind of portion sizes they sell, will give you a fairly good indication. But as I said it's all guesstimate. And it's even guesstimate down to even if you had their barbecue chicken melt at Weatherspoons, the calories that they print on their menu are based on the average size portion they give. No, I say most restaurants, spoons might actually do this, but I doubt spoons are counting out the exact chips that they put on your plate or the exact size piece of chicken that they're serving. They might do. They're quite tight on that stuff, isn't it? But do you know what I mean? They might have barbecue sauce. If they're free pouring barbecue sauce onto your chicken, you don't really know how much they've got. They might have a guidelines recipe that they're meant to be following, which is what the calories have been counted on, but realistically, they could easily, one way or the other, be up or down 100, 200 calories, which is why I said it's all an average anyway. So I said, so that's my kind of two options. Um, also, even look at the menu of the place you're in, or look at a similar meal that's on your tracking device that you would recognize portion wise, and you can gauge off that one. But what I would really suggest when you're looking at any type of meal eating out is expect it to be a lot higher than what you would make. So if you're looking at Hunter's chicken, you're like, right, well, the chicken's going to be 200 calories, and there's some chips, and that's going to be 100 calories, and uh, there's some sauce, and that'll be 50 calories, add 200 at least to it. Because the way that these restaurants cook um, food to make it tasty and make customers want to come back, generally involves a lot of oil or a lot of butter. um, And those things, because they're fats come with a lot higher calorie so for every one um, gram of fat, you get nine calories, whereas for protein and for carbs, it's only four. So you get a lot more calories in fats, that's what I'm trying to say. So if you're cooking, which restaurants do, with a lot more fats and oils in, you will very quickly ramp up the amount of calories that are in that meal. So I would always go, like, I think in Wetherspoons, I sound obsessed with this, I really don't eat it there very often, but they do have calories on their food. I think there's literally like two meals that might be under a thousand calories. It is crazy small. And actually some of the portions aren't that big. So it's a much about how they're cooking on those added, added cheese that they put in stuff. And the fact that they, instead of just a thin layer of butter, quite often there's like on their burgers, there's butter and there's a mayonnaise. Then there's a burger, then there's some cheese, then there's another type of sauce, then there's another burger, then there's another type of sauce. And all those things make your calories a lot higher even things down to like the bread rolls that often these restaurants uses, they're a brioche bread roll, which is, seems to be the fashion these days. Brioche has a lot higher fat content. It's got a lot of butter in it. That makes that bread roll sometimes double the amount of calories as another bread roll. So if you normally buy a white bread roll at home and make homemade burger and chips and the chips are in the oven and the burgers are grilled in the oven and you're using this one type of normal fluffy white bread roll, that might be four or 500 calories if you can keep your portion sensible a similar sized portion in a restaurant would easily probably be double that because of the types of ingredients they're choosing. So just assume that your calories eating out are going to be a lot higher. That's far better to assume that. And actually you might have over expected and compensated for it than under, and then always wondering why you might not be losing weight when you're eating out. Okay. Question. Oh, on that, the only thing I was going to say, I know it wasn't quite direct in the, in the question itself, but if you are trying to, if you're eating out and you're still trying to stay within your kind of goals of kind of fat loss goals, really, 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 the most things I would focus on is trying to get lean protein and vegetable-based dishes. So try to keep the amount of carbohydrates on your plate smaller if you're trying to reduce down the calories. One, because a lot of those carbohydrates obviously are often cooked in those fats and butters and oils. Think your potatoes, your chips, um, egg fried rice, anything like that, you quite often get, and maybe past you quite often get a lot of cheesy sauce and stuff. So if you can try and look more like steak and veg, pork loin and veg, a fish with veg, and just keep whatever type of carbohydrates they might be sending with it, to a minimum, you're going to be way easier to control those calories. As soon as you start having extra side dishes of chips, and maybe there's pastry involved, um, and stuff like that, you're going to very quickly ramp up those calories. Okay, question number two, where are we? Okay, it says, at the moment, I'm sticking to quite plain Jane meals as it's easier in regards to tracking, but I'd like to get some good meal ideas for the whole family. Super, lovely question. So I too want you to have some nice meals you can eat the whole family because I don't want anyone thinking that they've got to eat by themselves. Um, I think the person that's asked this, and I remember who it was rightly, has got young children. So actually probably your breakfast and lunches are also involving young children at the moment. But if you've got older children, that are maybe at school, um, really, you already probably eat at least one meal or if not two meals a day by yourself anyway. So you can actually kind of either go quite plain Jane or them or experiment a lot of them. I want that evening meal, whatever it might be, meal with your family to be something you can have all together. So you don't have to have brand new recipes here. So kids, if they're anything like mine, generally can be quite fussy. So um, what I would generally do is stick with your family favourites. And the way to eat it as a family is you just modify the amount of food you put on your plate based on your goals. So I don't know, let's say, I have no idea what your family favourites are. But let's say your kids love pizza, okay? So instead of them having a pizza. And you having a bowl of salad or something, you just have half a pizza with maybe some salad instead. Um, or it might be if you're having spaghetti bolognese and you only have spaghetti bolognese with garlic bread, just re- still have spaghetti bolognese, still get the protein from the meat. Um, kind of, I was going to say, beef up this spag bowl. <laughs> it's got beef in. But try and fill up the maybe spaghetti bolognese with some small cut up vegetables as well, just to bulk it up. And then maybe don't have quite as much spaghetti as you'd normally have, so reduce the any carbohydrates there. Maybe have a side portion of leafy green vegetable with it as well. Um, and maybe forego the garlic bread or cook less garlic bread. So if you normally buy two batons of garlic bread and share it between four of you, maybe just buy or cook only one um, baton of garlic bread and still share it between the four of you. So then you just are forcing your hand to kind of eat less of it as well. Um, Things like fish and chips am just one of the things, things that kids might just want to eat. Just start moving the boundaries. So if your kids only eat fish fingers because they've got batter on and they have it with chips and you want some chips, just have an unbattered, unbreaded piece of fish, maybe some salmon, maybe some cod, something you just by frozen in the supermarket so you can take it out of the freezer exactly the same time. It will cook in the same amount of time as your fish fingers, but you're just foregoing some of those calories that are in that kind of bread or batter on the fish. And bit by bit, your kids might then be happy to try that with you as well because you can explain to them it's exactly the same as their fish fingers. It's just not got the bread on the side and they can try the inside of their fish finger and try the inside of your fish as well. So you can still have the same type of meal, but maybe you're just cooking an ever so slightly different version if your kids are fussy. If your kids aren't fussy and you want to try and unfussy them as well, then just keep exposing them to the types of food that you are wanting to eat. So I have a very fussy child, which... I can't believe I've ended up with because love him dearly. I thought I'm such an adventurous eater. He would come on this adventurous journey with me. He seems to have gone the other way, but that doesn't stop me from exposing him. And what generally happens is I cook a meal and he just has a dissected kind of version of it. So some vegetables he doesn't like cooked, but he quite happily eats raw. So when I'm cooking mine, I just keep a side portion out for him to have raw. Um, and silly things like that. He doesn't like ingredients mixed together. So actually when I'm cooking it, I just cook it separate, put his on a plate all separate. I then mix ours all together. So there's plenty of ways you can still eat as a family. Eat the same foods, but portion it or plate it differently so that everyone is satisfied. Because I don't want anyone feeling like they've got to cook different meals for different people. When you are planning your meals, whether it's for yourself or whether it's for your children... Do try and think of the nutrient values that you're giving. And I kind of, nutrition for kids is a real kind of passion area of mine because we seem to be so happy with just chucking them anything that gonna, they're going to eat. And we're so happy as parents, as long as they've eaten, they're fine. And that's true, but also we want them to have a nice constant flow of energy. We want their body to be fueled in a way that they're going to grow strong, grow fit. They're not going to have big peaks and troughs in their kind of energy and their temperament along with that. So actually everything that I've tried to help my clients do in regards to fueling our own bodies to kind of work more efficiently and effectively is actually the same as our kids. So actually getting a good amount of protein into their diet is going to be really helpful. Having some more slower release carbohydrates rather than fast kind of high sugar carbohydrates is going to be really good. Getting some good fats into their diet is going to be really good. So simple things like chucking some nuts and seeds into meals, or eating them as a snack could be really good as well, just to start getting used to eating less processed foods as well. So whether you're driven by your own health and fitness and kind of fat loss goals, or whether you're driven by kind of creating a food environment for your children, that is going to be really good for their health. Either one is going to have the same outcome. So try to think about every meal kind of where they're getting their protein from. Every meal should have some type of protein source in it. That doesn't mean it needs to be meat. It doesn't mean it has to be dairy. You can get a lot from kind of pulses and beans and lentils and stuff as well. Or you can use some of the other kind of meal replacement products if you want to as well. So start with that. Try to obviously focus on getting some fruit and veg in. Obviously, we've been hammered in for years of thinking that we need to get five fruit and veg into our diet every day. That is actually a minimum. And so if you're trying to do that for your children, you can quite easily do that for yourself. And the way to do that is just making sure every meal you serve... No matter how boring that bit of veg is on that plate, it's there as normal. I so said you can blend it into the meal, you can have it as a side on the meal, you can always finish the meal with some fruit and veg. or sorry, some fruit as well. So put fruit onto their dinner plate as well as something else, just to keep reminding that fruit and veg is just part of what we do and all the reasons for it. Okay, moving on next. Oh, lots of questions about food today. All my clients are very obviously dialed into their food and nutrition. Um, what is a realistic target per day of grams of fat? Lovely. Okay. So I actually touched on this last week, so I'll touch on it again. So obviously just to recap, so all food comes into three brackets, either comes into a carbohydrate, a protein, or a fat. And most foods generally are a mixture of them. So most meats will be protein and fat-based. Vegetables are generally carbohydrate and protein-based. Um, but yeah, there's, so there, there's every, most food groups will be a mixture. Some are solely one, some are solely the other. Protein, obviously we know we've got lots of real benefits, which is why I push it as a target for people to monitor. What happens when we look at carbs and fats, which is going to make up the other kind of two thirds of what we're eating is it actually doesn't really matter. So we've got whole diets and I mean diets as in those things I'm on this diet type of diet that really lean one way or the other. So there's some that are very high carb, very low fat. There's some are very low carb, very high fat. So if you've heard of the keto, you've heard of the Atkins diet, they are low carb, high fat diets. So their carbohydrates are so low that you'd barely probably get 100 to 200 calories worth of um, carbohydrates from them. It's very low. The majority of your diet comes from either protein or fats. So I know the person that's asked this was a bit worried that their fat consumption over the last week has been really high compared to what they thought it should be. And I would say actually don't need to worry, okay? As long as the types of fats you are eating are what we class as good fats, which I'll talk about in a minute, you don't need to worry. It just means that your personal preference probably leans more towards kind of it's not in the keto style, that's far the other extreme, but it leads more to you probably prefer eating more higher fat foods rather than higher carbohydrate foods. Because fats have such a more dense level of calories in them, you will generally get less food on your plate if you have a higher fat diet. If you have a higher carb diet, you will generally get more food on your plate. So sometimes people struggle with that keto style diet where they go really high fat, because actually they don't get that much food for their calories, and um, which is why a lot of people struggle. They just feel like they're always hungry because they just physically don't have much food to eat. But if it works for you, it works for you. So just to touch on the fat thing, so they, all fats are kind of categorized into three three groups. There's unsaturated fats, there's saturated fats, and there's trans fats. Trans fats are the bad, bad ones. We'll start with them. They are the ones that are basically processed fats that are added into foods, the processed foods, to either hold their shape or their stability. Um, maybe sometimes uh, add taste to it, they're the ones that really are not good internally. So we really want to try and reduce down the amount of trans fats in any food. And if you're eating packaged food, it will be labeled on your food label. The other two groups, unsaturated and saturated fats. The difference between them really is unsaturated basically means that they're, they're in liquid form. So anything kind of room temperature that stays liquid form, like olive oil, sunflower oil, soy, even nuts and seeds, because the actual fat content of them is liquid, um, and fish, the fat content of it is liquid. They are what lot of good fats. We actually can supplement our body with them even further too, because our body needs unsaturated fats to operate. It's got a lot of amigas in it. So we need that. So if you're actually the type of person that eats quite a lot of fish, uses quite a lot of olive oil, um, eats lots of nuts, eats lots of seeds, all that stuff, you probably are going to have quite a high level of fat in your diet anyway. The other one, which kind of sits in the middle a bit more, is saturated fats. Now, they're ones that generally are hard or firm at room temperature. So think like the meat, um, the fat on your meat. So at room temperature, it stays firm. But when you cook it, it melts type of way. Um, Butters, cheeses, ice creams, coconut oil. Those things are called saturated fats. They're okay. You want to monitor the amount that you're getting through them to not go crazy on them. Um, but again, if you're having quite a well balanced diet, you'll probably struggle to overconsume that. So, I said, so if you do want to dial in on your fat kind of consumption, unsaturated fats, good to go, eat away. Saturated fats, just moderate them. Trans fats, try to avoid them. I um, said, on most labeling, they do separate out those trans fats anyway. If I was to put a number on how much you want to be consuming, I touched on it last week, I would generally say, in your whole 100% of your diet, you're probably looking at 20 to 25% coming from protein. You're probably looking at another 20 to 25% coming from your fats. And then the last 50% or so coming from carbohydrates, but that is flexible. You could have 40% carbohydrates, 30 to 35% fats. Again, remembering that one gram of fat is nine calories. So, you could, if you were going for, I looked at this guy's um, stuff, so you're on 2000 calories a day as a target. If we're saying between 20 to 25% of fat, that is going to be, from a gram perspective, about 45 to 55 grams of fats per day, which will be about 400 to 500 calories. Sorry, that was a lot of numbers, but I just want you to get the gist of that. So you're looking at four to 500 calories worth of fat every day, which is about 45 to 55 grams of fat a day to get that kind of quarter of your intake but I said you don't need to worry about that if you're fairly eating kind of well unprocessed foods I said with a lot of um, olive oil and nuts and seeds and fish and stuff that higher fat level is definitely nothing to worry about especially if you're sitting within your calories which I know you are it's not going to impact your fat loss at all it just might impact your energy levels and if you're feeling like energy wise you're struggling you might want to get some carbs back into your diet which means you might want to drop your fats back down if you went full extreme where you go really high on these fats where you do this keto diet you t- you kind of change how your body produces energy you go into something called ketosis i don't want to i say bore you a bit overwhelm you a bit but generally speaking if you go into full ketosis where you start utilizing body fat for um sorry dietary fat for energy not carbohydrates um, your energy levels kind of, they come back up to where they should be. But the period of changing how your body works in regards to energy systems um, is quite a long road that a lot of people can't make itself through because they feel quite lethargic during the process. hope that helps. Okay, question. Oh, so much about food today. I think it's nearly all about food um okay next question what is best to eat before and post a run i ran on saturday and i didn't sorry i ran on saturday and i didn't eat much at all as wanted to save calories for the rest of the day but find the run hard especially after four miles i didn't feel hungry before during or after um i.e no rumbling of stomach but i just overall felt quite hard when i look back at my garmin data was quite surprised that my heart rate was so high and my pace was was that quick at all I struggle to eat bananas, as so they give me a bit of a uh, stomach upset, and yeah, don 't feel nauseous right cool so um i'm i'm going to send you a handout that I did on this a couple of weeks ago don 't worry i 'm sure you, you it was an oversight because i 've sent so much stuff out recently but general concept is is so for a relatively short ish run, so we 're kind of talking probably. An hour, bit side of an hour, depending on how fast you're running. Probably less than an hour. I've underplayed your abilities there. Um, there is no set kind of thing you need to worry about in regards to nutrition, but it is going to be a personal preference thing and it's probably going to vary a bit. So if you're running in the morning, what I would first look at is thinking about what you ate the night before. So you really, for this energy thing, which is obviously what you struggle with, you are going to want to have some carbohydrates kind of in your digestive system getting processed. Um, so if you ate quite late or you ate last the night before and it was quite a carbohydrate-based meal, you probably should have enough available energy for you to get through this run in the morning without needing to eat anything. If you didn't have anything last night, then probably you do want to have something in the morning. Um, depending on how early before this run you can eat, if it's only an hour before, keep something small. If you've got a couple of hours before, you can have something bigger. Main priorities are going to be getting some kind of slow-release carbohydrates in um, and some protein in. Now, if you've had a bit of stomach problems by eating banana before, it's probably your body just doesn't like running with kind of freshly processed or food in your digestive system. So you're probably better going for the trying to get up and eating like two hours before. Still don't go massively huge on what you eat, um, but do try to keep it probably quite simple. And this will be a bit of trial and error. I personally knew the one and only time i 've ran in my life when I did a half marathon about i don 't know eight years ago now there were some foods that I knew my stomach would be happy with, and there were some foods that I definitely knew it would not be happy with um, and unfortunately that 's come bit trial and error and sometimes the faster release energy, which bananas are actually higher up the list a lot people think they do give you quite a quick surge of energy is too quick for your body to process and be comfortable with, so I would personally go for like a porridge kind of base something um, or I would go Greek yogurt and muesli because that's just something I know my body is really happy with. Um, and I wouldn't change up. So I wouldn't be thinking I need to eat something different per se. Making sure your hydration levels are good. I said overnight into the morning is important. Obviously you don't want to be the whole way around the run, but do make sure you're hydrated because that's going to help your digestive system work efficiently. Um, it might be, you want to have like a little protein shake beforehand. Um, so you could just have the protein powder mixed with water, or you could add in a little bit of oats or vegetables, spinach or kale or berries or something to give it a bit of flavor. Just don't go too heavy and maybe just keep the quantity of it a little bit lower. Um, and if you're looking for post kind of run food as well, it might be, you want to have a bit of that kind of protein shake before and then have the rest of it afterwards as well. Um, In regards to fats, there's not really any evidence either way of it impacting your performance. So when you're looking at what foods you could have, um, you don't need to be necessarily worried about whether you need a higher fat content or not, because that doesn't really apply. But I will send you the um, document I did on it because it's several pages long. It kind of explains this, but I said for those kind of shorter distance runs, so we're not talking kind of multiple hours, we're kind of talking up to an hour. um, There isn't anything big you need to do but it's very good that you're monitoring it and you notice your energy levels were struggling because it definitely sounds like either you needed more food on that day to have some available energy for you, because most of our immediate energy is going to come from glycogen and glycogen comes from carbohydrates, or it just happened to be an off day for you in regards to maybe hormonally where you were maybe that day, your body was just going to find it harder anyway. Um, But with everything, there's so much variance that you could eat exactly the same things and do the exact same things every day and you might still feel very different on each run because that's what our bodies like to do. Just as we think we've got it sorted, they throw something else at us. Um, okay, two more. There's so many questions about food. Um, I, oh, this is topical as well. I'm new to protein shakes. Are they a good replacement for breakfast or better just before and after exercise? So... I would say it depends what you already have for breakfast. Because most of the time, 99% of the time, my answer is going to be real first, real food first. So if you're already eating a breakfast that's quite wholesome, it's quite unprocessed, it's kind of giving you good energy levels, good, relatively good protein levels, don't change it up for a protein shake. Because you're going to get a lot more food nutrients into your body from real food than you are from protein shake. Protein shakes really are just coming with protein. There's no minerals or vitamins or anything else going on in them. That said, if you're the type of person that breakfast is a quick snack bar or chocolate bar, or you're totally skipping breakfast because you've run out of time, or you're grabbing a bit of white toast at 10 o'clock in the morning because you're going to flake out, then actually, yes, using a protein shake for breakfast where you can maybe graze on it stop and start drinking it over kind of one two three hour period while you're busy with life, getting to work, sorting the kids out, doing school runs, whatever it might be, would be a better option. So I said real food first, but if that's not realistic and I know not everyone is gonna have this realistically perfect world, then yes add in the protein shake. But I would generally advise it more to use either as a kind of a snack maybe during the day, so maybe a mid-morning or mid-afternoon kind of snack. Um, or use it pre and or post-workout if you kind of feel like you're going to need a bit of energy or you get a bit of the munchies after you come back from exercising. It's a good way to feel satisfied um, because obviously it's generally a longer drink for you to drink. What I would say on protein shakes is think about what kind of level of calories you want to get out of it, because if you're purely having it for protein, then probably just having the scoop of protein powder with some water, it's going to be about 120 calories. Um, as soon as you start chucking other things in and start making it more like a smoothie or a milkshake, that can easily double or triple very quickly. So if you're having it as a meal, so you are having it as like breakfast, then it might be you're happy to chuck some oats in or a av- bit of avocado in or some fruit or some vegetables into it and get those calories more up around the 300 mark, three 400 calorie mark. If you are supplementing it as a snack or just a pre- or post-workout kind of drink, then I would try to keep it to the minimum in regards to calories. I hate protein powder just with water, but I can very easily drink it if I put some frozen berries in. No frozen kind of berries like blackberries, raspberries, the red mix one I buy from littles I don't know what it's called. Um summer fruits, I think they call it. Um Chuck some of that in it. One, it cools it down. So it's obviously a nice cold drink. And I find it generally balances the swipe quite sweet vanilla out quite nicely. So, um, and there's not very many calories in those berries. So just have a think about what you're trying to get from it. I said, if it's just protein, keep it minimal ingredients wise. If it's a whole meal, think about adding things that are going to provide nutrients and minerals to your lunch or oh, sorry, to your breakfast as well. Cool. Right. Where are we? I think we are nearly there. Last... One, no, two more. Cool. Okay, how can I start being more mindful of snacks in lunch bags for I'm gonna blanket their name, child. <laughs> I really want to reduce the amount of processed snacks she has so she doesn't grow up seeing that as normal. Throw me any suggestions on what um I can give that toddler friendly, well-accepted high protein snacks to try. Okay, so the first thing I'll say here is children learn best by example. So I know you're really focused on your own nutritional intake, so your children's food intake will naturally come. It might not come the first time they see you eating. They might not come the second time. But if you get consistent with eating, more balanced, maybe less processed, higher protein meals, and that's the food that is in your household, that's the food that they see when they open the cupboard doors, it will happen naturally. Um, I know that personally. Like My son loves eating, it's really random. He really likes eating crisp chickpeas that are crispy. So I chuck them in the air fryer. I did it once a couple of years ago as a bit of a trial to see if I like them. He adores them and he thinks that's like a treat. He thinks it's a treat, a tin of chickpeas. Um, if I really spoil him, it has honey on it as well. And if I really, really spoil him, it's got a little bit of drizzled honey and a little bit of cinnamon um, on top. And honestly, he thinks that's amazing. But he was only aware of that because I exposed him to him. And then while i exposing it to him, He then really got to like it, so that's an awesome high protein snack if you want to go down the chickpea line. Um, But even things that can be really simple, like having a little like snack platter. So instead of being like, "Here's your snack bar," it's like, "Right, we're going to have a little bit of cheese, and we're going to share an apple, um, and we're going to have some nuts." And that is a really nice balance. Like the nuts have some protein and some fats in, and the cheese has some protein and some fat in, um, a little bit carbohydrate. And then the apple's got carbohydrates as well. And so it's just like, it's about creating balanced meals. And I think so far with snacks, it's like, it's got to be one thing. And actually, I think if you have a little selection of things, one kids love selections because they get to choose what they're having. Um, But also you actually then start hitting all the food groups as well, which is really important. Um, So I definitely do that get your kids involved, so the big big thing with children is that they like to feel like they, they've got the power, so let them choose, but the things you're going to let them choose between, you kind of guide, so that does mean that you need to create this food environment that you're happy with as well, so the best thing I could say to parents, if they feel like their cupboards are full of like highly processed snacks that they don't want their kids to buy, is just don't buy them, kids forget things really quickly, I know some stuff they remember as well for a long time, but like, if the kids are always used to there being the same pack of crisps in their cupboard, give them a couple of weeks. Of, they might ask occasionally where the pack of crisps are, but then they will stop asking. As long as you kind of have something else to offer them, they'll stop asking about the crisps. They'll stop asking about the biscuits. They'll stop asking about where their Freddo bars are. Like, it, they do not need to have it in their house. So if you don't want it in the house for your own sake, because you actually don't want to eat it, please do not buy it for your children's sake. They do not come out of the womb knowing what a Freddo bar is. And there's nothing against Freddo's. I just know they crop up the whole time with people. You've created an environment where they've learned what a Freddo bar is. And then you've kept feeding that environment with Freddo bars. So you just need to look at the environment that you're creating for them and create one that you're happy with. And that doesn't need to be really boring. There's a lot of processed snacks that you can buy for convenience that you would be happy with. Um, if you want to get your kids involved which obviously kids love a bit of baking so you don't have to bake a high sugar cake for them to eat or cookies that they can eat you could bake a little protein ball so use a bit of protein powder oats generally some dark chocolate maybe a bit of maple syrup honey maybe some prunes in them and they get to mix them all with their hands and squeeze them into little balls and some of the recipes you cook but a lot of them you just put in the fridge and so they very quickly got these nice little chocolatey balls and if they've got the power that they can choose what they're going to put in their little balls and that's theirs and you're going to make your one as well, they're still getting the exact same excitement from baking with their mum, but instead of it being a high sugar, feeling quite unhealthy thing that you want to get, that they're making, you're actually making something that's actually really well balanced for them as well. So definitely getting involved in those things. A few other hints and tips is actually, especially as they get older, is um, choose your language appropriately that helps them feel empowered and helps them understand. So like I said about earlier, like we've always had this thing drilled into us, like we need to eat five fruit and veg, five fruit and veg, but often we don't tell people why. Now the why is not so you don't get fat. (laughs) That's unfortunately the term that I think people have in their head. It's not about getting fat or getting thin and losing weight or gaining weight. It's like giving your body the fuel it needs to work really well. So kids want to be big. They want to be strong. They want to be fast. Tell them that. Tell them that's what fruit and veg does. They want to have energy to, to do exciting stuff. So tell them this is how we get energy. Eat your carrot. You're going to be able to see well. Eat this banana. It's going to give you energy. Eat this big bowl of porridge. It's going to give you energy. Like Give them the language to understand that we're helping our body by fueling it is not something we're just told we have to do so we don't put on weight, which often I think is what's happened. Then when we're talking about kind of snacks, actually trying to not label foods as good and bad or high sugar or low sugar. Oh, there's my doorbell. One sec. Sorry, I'm back. That was good old Amazon coming to the door. Not even something I've ordered myself. How rude. Um, Yeah, so try not to label things as kind of good or bad or high sugar, low sugar. Because kids definitely like to rebel. So if you tell someone it's bad, they're probably going to want it more. So again, just keep referring back in a very soft way in regards to the nutrients and what is giving their body. And actually, they want to have energy for a long time and actually sweets, as we all know. It's just too fast, too hard and too fast. They go absolutely crazy for 10 minutes and then they absolutely crash and burn. It doesn't help them and it definitely doesn't help us. So I'm not saying don't give your children those sweets and stuff but do kind of let them understand when's a good time to have them and when's maybe not a good time to have them. I say that, I don't know the word good, (laughs) obviously word it differently. Um, But just try to, again, manage the language that you're using to talk to your children so that they don't feel like there's strict rules, but they understand kind of why. And then as they get older, I think it's really good, as i have kind of helping my clients do this as well, is trying to get your children to understand whether they're hungry or they're not hungry, are they bored? Is it hunger? If they're hungry, why is it? Let them think back, okay, it's because I didn't actually have my lunch at school. That's why I'm absolutely starving hungry by um, end of school. And they're just advising them, not as a turning off way, but as an educating them way as maybe tomorrow try eating all your lunch at school um, and not going out onto the playground quite so quickly because when you get home, you won't be quite so ravenous, and then we can get you some nice food cooked up ready, so you won't be feeling like this, so just given the tools and the understanding, because kids, as we know, are like sponges, they actually do absorb a lot of information, they might not recall it all, but they do absorb it, especially if we recap it lots of times as well, um, so yeah, hopefully there's some good hits and tips there, so really get your kids involved in making some like protein-based snacks, normalize having fruit and veg on most of your meals. If you do it, they'll do it. If you create a fruit salad that you're going to kind of add on to different dishes, then they'll probably want some fruit salad and just use it as we're exposing them to new ingredients that you want them to eat as much as the other way around. Um, and I will have a little bit more thought in regards to whether are the other protein snacks apart from those chickpeas that I would definitely recommend trying for young children. Um, okay, last question here. Um, how much difference does what time you eat make to a particular goal, i.e. are there benefits to eating a breakfast early, say at seven, opposed to waiting until 10? Likewise, when eating evening meals, is there an ideal time to get tea eaten before going to bed? Because um, quite often it might not be to nine o'clock. So against what a lot of people probably heard over the years, there is not scientifically much difference at all. So it's not about when you eat, it is about how much you eat. However, when you choose to eat, quite often then implicates how much you eat. Because if people start eating their first meal at, let's say, 6am and are having their last meal at, let's say, 9pm, generally speaking, within that very large eating window, they will consume a lot higher calories than if they, kind of, they had their breakfast two hours later or they had their evening dinner two hours earlier. So it is a behavioural thing rather than a kind of this time suits. If you're the type of person that can start eating, not eat breakfast at 10 o'clock in the morning and not feel ravenous then and it not impact your food choices throughout the rest of the day, carry on as don't eat till 10 o'clock in the morning. If you're the type of person that doesn't eat till 10 o'clock in the morning because they've been rushing around like a blue ass fly and then from that point onwards they are eating everything in sight kind of a bit on a calorie catch up because they've got so hungry then you're probably over consuming calories from where you need to be. And actually factoring in earlier breakfast and controlling your portions right from earlier on in the day would probably be better. Equally, if you're not eating dinner at nine o'clock at night, and that seems to be doing you well, brilliant. Most people are finding if they're eating at nine o'clock at night, probably also having something at about five, six, seven o'clock in the night, as well as two or three meals earlier on the day. So that's when I try and advise people to eat their dinner earlier, is just to stop that being an extra meal on top of all the meals they've already eaten. But again, if work requirements or exercise, whatever it might be, means that in your evening, actually, you're not, you are going from, let's say, 2pm to 9pm without eating anything else, or maybe just a small snack, then go for it, nine o'clock's fine. But if you're eating, as a lot of you are listening to this, with your kids at five o'clock, and then having a sit down dinner with your partner at nine o'clock, you're basically just introduced another meal, which might be fine if both meals are smaller. But if they're both kind of fairly chunky meals, then your calorie content of that whole day is probably going to come up. So it said there is no black and white answer there, but I would just make sure that if you've got a really big eating window of time over that day, so let's say you there's 14 hours between your first meal and your last meal, that that's not meaning you're going crazy on your calories. It might be you have four or five smaller meals. Um, whereas if you're having a smaller eating window, maybe over an eight-hour period, it might be you're having three bigger meals. That is a personal preference thing. It might vary sometimes day-to-day as well, depending on your situation. Cool. Okay, I'm going to wrap up there um, because I've got to go and do the school run. Any questions, uh, please feel free to fire me a message. I'm always happy to kind of go over things in further detail for you. Um, Otherwise, any questions, drop me a message either on Instagram or if you are a coaching client on our app and I'll speak to you soon. Take care. Bye bye.